himself. It's a unique look at sports that centers him on the mental as well as the physical side of sports and coaching. T.K. Griffith and Scott Matthew Callahan are your hosts, and between them, they bring over 50 years of coaching experience to the table with success in both boys' and girls' athletics. Their expertise comes from the locker room, the classroom, and their living room. Now, the teacher coach with TK and Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the teacher coach podcast here at Studio 496 in Southern Summit County here in Northeast Ohio. We're blessed and lucky today to have with us a lifer in the game of basketball, but somebody whose roots are in Medina County at Wadsworth High School and in the greater Akron area. I had the pleasure to play some summer basketball with him before there even was summer basketball at a place called Balt Street in Akron. His name is Dan Kaiser, folks, and he's from the East Coast, right? Well, he's from here, but he's coaching currently at Randolph High School in the East Coast. Dan Kaiser, welcome to the podcast. Dan, this is called the Teacher Coach Podcast because Scott and I believe in the metaphor of the teacher coach in our life somebody who kind of walks the path of life along with us and influences us typically in in sports but it could be also in the classroom with this teacher coach modality that we think is very very important so literally we do like the person who is the teacher in the day and then goes to the court but we also just like uh, they don't have to do that it could just be a guy who has another job and comes in but they're the teacher coach for life and that is something that we highly value how does that fit into your basketball career coach kaiser well, uh, first off, guys, I want to say thank you for having me. I really appreciate this, uh, you know, being on this podcast with you guys. I know you guys are lifers for basketball as well, and I love talking about the game all the time. Um, you know, how's it fit into my life in terms of, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I, you know, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to help somebody, you know, whether it's my students at my school, uh, the Brandon School in Natick, Massachusetts, or whether it's coaching my Randolph kids or whether it's helping other coaches, you know, to help people get better. That's the thing that I like to do. Um, I'm constantly trying to grow the game myself. And then I try to give away whatever I get. So that's my thing. Dan, you mentioned uh, the Brandon school where you teach during the day. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the uniqueness of that school and then some of the challenges that go along with your particular classroom? Uh, I teach in in an all-boys school, ages 7 to 17. I teach in the high school, you know, the high school department. Um, I'm a special education history teacher, and I deal with kids that have social-emotional issues, uh, whether it's, you know, they were neglected, abused, uh, they had issues at their house. They had issues at their school. Uh, they had issues with Department of Children and Families, uh, DYS, Department of Youth Services, whatever it is. Uh, this is who I deal with on a daily basis. Um, I really like it. Uh, you know, I, I, I love it. It's challenging. Um, you know, it's, it's rewarding as well. And the, the great thing is, is this, there are so many kids that have, I mean, they, they have, you know, it doesn't matter if you're at a, a kid at Wadsworth High School or Randolph High School or wherever, there's kids everywhere that have issues. And no matter where you're at, you're just trying to help these kids grow as young people and, you know, become adults and help them get ready for life. 
Dan, what are some of the ways that uh, in dealing with, and I don't want to say dealing with, but in helping to form and uh, help people grow social and emotionally, uh, socially and emotionally, what are some of the ways that you've had to grow or change, or what are some tidbits that you have learned dealing with these boys who, who may, in some cases, have some tough situations that they have been through? Well, the first thing I always tell my students at my school, and I've told my players this, I said, you know, you guys got to realize that I have had, a, you know, I've made a ton of mistakes in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever it is, you know, you know, whether it was taking a job or whether it was, you know, how I dealt with a friend, you know, playing two on two basketball, (laughs) Um, you know, it was one of those things where there was a lot of things that, you know, I look back on my own life and I say, how could I have handled that better than I did? And what I tell guys is, is this all the time? I'm like, listen, I can't relive I'm 49 years old. I cannot go back in time and do these things over. Mm-hmm. You know, all I can do is, is this. I can look at the past and say, all right, how am I going to change for the future? You know, I look at present day and say, all right, what am I going to do to make, you know, my life better today, but as well as the, the kids that are around me. Right. Dan, how much of you, of your daily, um, I guess, schedule is history focused and how much of your daily interaction with these kids is working on life skills and preparing them to take that next step so they're productive citizens and uh, they're enjoying their lives more? Well, for me, it goes hand in hand. Um, You know, I explain to them because one of the things is, is this. A lot, of, a lot of my students will say, you know, the worst, the class that I hate, hate the most is, is history. And for the longest time, I always was like, why, why, do, why do my students hate history so much? And then what I came to figure is, is they don't like their own history. Right. But because they don't like their own history. Yeah. And they don't know how to deal with themselves. Yeah. They're not going to like anything that happened in the past with anybody, you know, right. anything that happened in a place right. or a time or a person didn't matter they just don't like history in general what happens is is this we talk more about life's issues where like i'm i'll bring up a you know i'll bring up a character like uh from history you know whether it's let's say it's um adolf hitler all right if it's adolf hitler listen where what were the things that went wrong in his mind Mm-hmm. his brain development right you know what what are some things that happen yeah. you know let's analyze these things you know the thing is is right now everybody's talking about you know protesting and rioting and you know uh equality and all these things are coming up and i for me this is an avenue where if i was in a classroom right now with my own students now i have zoom classes right and i have two that show up and this is what we talk about yeah but I say, what can we do? How, you know, where, what are we learning from all this? Right. You know, why did this happen in the past and why does it keep happening? Right. You know, so what happens is, is we talk about, I mean, my, my, I got students that they don't want to talk about love. Right. Talk about love. But we also talk about ego. Yeah. Because one of the things that's happening with today's society is, is everybody has an ego where they're like, 
you know, listen, I'm better than you because guess what? I'm this color and you're that color. Right. I'm better than you because I make more money than you, than this person. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is I, I tell students all the time. I'm like, listen, you bring something to the world mm -hmm. and it's our job. My job as a teacher, my job as a, as a mentor, as a, as a coach, as an educator, as a friend, right. To help bring out what do you do well so that you can go out and give it to somebody. Yeah. My students will say, you know, coach, I don't, I don't want to give this to anybody. Right. You know, but I, I say, listen, this is what happens. Right. You don't give it to somebody and guess what? Yeah. You know, we're still going to have fights. We're still going right. to have arguments. We're still going to have hate yeah. in the air. Yeah. Coach, I'm glad you mentioned love because um, before we wrap up the Brandon school, um, I know that some of our kids, even at Hoban or anywhere that we teach who do have some difficulties in life, sometimes have had scenarios in their life where, where maybe the trust has been broken um, because perhaps they haven't felt a lot of love or the love uh, yep. hasn't been delivered in a proper function or proper way. And so, so how does that, uh, how do you bridge that gap? You know, the kids that have some of, some of the trust issues, uh, they haven't maybe encountered a lot of unconditional love in their life. Where do you come in? Uh, where do you come in? I don't want to say where do you come in to fix that, but I guess where does the Brandon school come in to try to right the ship and help, help this out in our society? You know, the crazy thing is, is you said fix. And the word I like to always use is, is manage. You know, mm -hmm. what I like to use is, is I like to, you know, I want to manage and I want to bridge a gap mm -hmm. between two people. Yeah. So one of the things is, is this, you know, it's not so much at times on what I talk about, but yeah. it's more on what I listen to. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, you, you right. know, you need to listen more, Yeah. Keep, you know, keep your mouth quiet basically. And what I try to do is, is I try to bridge the gap and I listen to kids and what their ideas are, what yeah. their thought process is. Why do yeah. they think the way they think? Yeah. And here's the thing, when that happens, you have kids that will basically curse and swear, you know, they'll say derogatory things. They'll even test you by saying nasty things to you, even though they respect you and like you mm -hmm. to see how you react. Yeah. And one of the things that, one of the things that I think I've done, I mean, I still fail at it. I mean, you know, cause yeah. I'm human. Yeah. Um, you know, a kid will swear and curse at you and say all these nasty things. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I'm able to go back to them yeah. and say, listen, you know, maybe I said something wrong to you. Yeah. Maybe I said it, you know, maybe I raised my voice, uh, which, which I'm a coach. I've raised yeah. my voice before yeah. and the kid raises his voice back. We go back and forth. Next thing you know, what happens? Two days later, I come back to that kid and I go, hey. And he says, hey, Coach Kaiser, I just wanted to tell you. I'm really sorry about how I handled that. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I said, you know what? Understand something, buddy. In any sender-receiver relationship. Right. I said, you know what? I'm just as guilty as you. Yeah. And... The thing is, is I, you know, you know, you also, the other thing is, is this to help with that. You have to get into their interest of their likes. Yeah. So 
you know, if I'm coaching basketball or I'm, uh, I'm teaching and a kid's, you know, like, you know, he comes into the room and he's listening to headphones and he's listening to, you know, let's say it's Tupac. Yeah. You know, I'll say, Hey, what music is that? Yeah. Oh, it's Tupac. Yo, can I listen to it? So you let put the headbuds on, you know, he puts the headbuds <laughs> in and yeah. listen to it for a couple minutes and you're like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then what happens is, is the other thing is, is I think a lot of kids think at times I'm a funny guy. Um, <laughs> I've always tried to make light of things. Right. And I'll say, they'll say, Coach Kaiser, who, who's your favorite rap artist? And I'll say, oh, my favorite rap artist is Nasal Drop. <laughs> comes up with those songs called Clean Clinics and uh, Red Eyes. And, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, what's that other one? Oh, I blow chunks. <laughs> And then the next right. thing is, is kids are like, yo, man, this guy's crazy, but I like it. Right. right. So. Amen, man. You got to keep them on their toes. I love that. All the time. All the time. I'm a, I'm a nasal drop fan myself. Nasal drop. Uh, coach, let's get into your, um, let's get into your athletic history and you, and, and how you grew up. And, and first of all, before we, before we segue, I didn't really do that justice because I kind of love everything you said there. And I, I really, you know, manage, you know, bridging gaps, listening, um, you know, two ears, one mouth and, and, and listening to understand. Yep. Uh, and sometimes when they swear, you know, giving them that license, but then circling back with them with, with some love and saying, we're sorry with the sender receiver relationship. I think all that that you said, man, is, is so important. So I don't want to, I don't want to move on to, 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 to lessen what you said, but I do want to move on. Well, let me, can I say one more thing, TK? Yeah. yeah. You know, the other thing I say to them all the time is this, whether it's my own players, or whether it's my own students at my school, mm -hmm. uh, I'll say this, and I say this to my own children: nothing's yeah. as good as it seems, and nothing's as bad as it seems. But somewhere in the middle lies the truth. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle is the truth. Yeah. So you being poor, you being rich, you being this, you being that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're at the social emotional school. Right. You know, I teach because kids will say, "Oh, you teach at this school, man. You're a loser." Right. Right. I'm not. Listen. This is this is my job. This is you know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to help somebody. Right. You right. know. I got into coaching and teaching to help people. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to add. Thanks, Coach. Um, let's talk about when you first got interested in in athletics, Dan, in, in your life growing up in Wisworth. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, maybe K through eight? All right. Let's do this. All right. So what happens is is. I'm in second grade, and I didn't want to tell the story, but I'm going to tell the story, all right? Because okay. this, this basically takes everything off. And Scott, because he knows me really, really well, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. And I don't <laughs> know if Scott ever knew this. But um, when I'm in second grade, you know, I'm playing for the Ohio water treatment in the uh, Norton Park, all right? Huh. And it's a t-ball team, and I wasn't very good, all right? Yeah. But one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to always hit the ball as far as I could. Yeah. So one day I get up to bat towards the end of the season. I strike out in T-ball. <laughs> right? Devastated. Because I, I, I basically, I you know, there's already automatic one strike. Right. I hit the T on the second one, and I went over the top of the ball, the third one, strike three, you're out. I go back to the bench. I'm devastated. Yeah. When I get home, I go back to my room, and I'm bawling my eyes out. And I can hear my mother. My mother says, she says, uh, yo, uh, Mel, that's my father. Uh, go back in the room 
and tell him about your basketball career. And I was like, I'm still bawling my eyes at it. So he basically, he comes back in the room and he brings all these books and he opens them up. And literally it is all these uh, pictures of when he was at the University of Akron. All right, rebounding the ball, making a shot, making a, throwing a hook shot. And he goes, this could be you someday. <laughs> Don't ever give up. Hmm. And I remember sitting there and I was like, so we went out in the living room and he's still talking about it. Yeah. And I remember to that, to this day, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Wow. So from that point, I was like, I hate baseball. <laughs> All right. I literally started, you know, you know, they put a they put a basketball hoop up in the driveway. I started going out every day shooting around. Um, I didn't know anything from anything. And that's how it took off. And what happened was is, you know, over the course of the years, uh, you know, a, a lot of what I do is because of my father. Mm-hmm. And then because of uh, two coaches, all right? One is Dave Slatke, my high school coach. The other one is my cross-country cro- tra- cross country and track coach, John Sprankle. Now, when I go to Wadsworth, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I cannot take out Scott Callahan either, all right? Scott Callahan's a sophomore in high school. Um, you know, I transferred to, to Wadsworth. Um, my, so- my sophomore year, I transferred to Wadsworth. And Scott and like four other guys take me under their wing. Now, I don't know if it was Slatke's doing. I don't know whose doing was. I just know that these, these guys and Scott was one of them made me feel so good that I developed a bond and a relationship. And, you know, the thing is, is I had already seen this mm-hmm. from Wadsworth players because I went to a game at Copley High School Scott Masters against Jackie Waters, 1983. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the stands with Greg Rogers, and he was one of my dear friends from Wadsworth across the, across the street. And he basically he said, this is what Wadsworth basketball is all about. I saw 1985, Bob Lawler, Gary Boys. I was like, I used to go over to Steiner. I, I was a Norton kid. I snuck into Steiner, and I played with all the Wadsworth kids. <laughs> And I just remember, I was like, this is great. <laughs> this is, like, awesome. Um, my first Danny, basketball Danny, camp. For the record, Danny, for the record, the reason why we took you in so readily and accepted you was because you were such a good player. <laughs> okay? And you were a great guy. I want you to briefly talk about Coach Slatke. What are some of the things – way back then when you were a sophomore, junior, and senior at Wadsworth High School, you went on to become the county player of the year. Really, truly. One, I wasn't county. Most... I was just – all I was was I just made first team. Okay. Well, in my, my eyes, you were county player of the year. But the point is, Danny, what are some things you took from Coach Sladke? And, Dan, did you transfer from Norton to Wadsworth? Or... No. What happened was, was uh, I was at CVCA. Okay. And okay. uh, I was at CVCA from my seventh grade to my ninth grade year. That's right. I was, I was playing for Greg McDivitt. And, you know, I played, I played uh, half the season for the varsity team. We ended up going, mm-hmm. like, we ended up going to the division four, whatever, Elyria's district final. 
Yeah. Uh, basically, I helped some guys basically up their games. I, I always felt like I helped, you know, challenge some guys to play harder. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things was, is, you know, like I'll give you like three Sladky stories because this personifies who Sladky was uh, for me. Slacky, you know, I got, I went to, I went to Wadsworth's basketball camp and I was in eighth grade and he puts me on this all eighth grade team. And, you know, I remember reading in the Sun Banner, I was like, these guys are like the Los Angeles Lakers. I shouldn't be playing with these guys. Yeah. You know, you had Tony Medford, Paul Vargo, you had uh, Eric Workman, all these guys. I'm like, these guys are good. These guys like (laughs) didn't lose a game. And I remember Sladkey puts me on this team and then he refs the game, you know, in the main gym. And all I remember was it was probably my first time and my only time. I always told coaches, I said, my first time and my only time that I was ever a great on ball defender <laughs> in that game you refed. Cause I ended up getting 10 steals on the ball for, you know, basically pokes for throw aheads or layups. Yeah. And I said, slats, I never played de- on-ball defense after that. And Slats would laugh and he'd go, yeah, yeah you're kind of right, guy. You're right, guy. All right? That was one of Slacky's um, stories. You know, another thing, that, you know, about Slats, Slats would challenge you. Um, you know, I remember coming from Wad- – I remember coming from CBCA to Wadsworth and I'm like, I'm going to make varsity. I'm playing with these guys. And I get there, and I'm like, yo, if that eighth-grade team was really good, these guys are like the dream team. Now, the dream team didn't exist, but I'm looking at, like, right. you know, Jed McKnight, Scott Callahan, uh, Scott Falkenberg, John Gaynor, Mark Postek, Jeff Kissinger. I'm like, these guys are awesome. <laughs> now, I played JV the whole year. And when I got an opportunity to play against these guys, you know, JV varsity, whatever. Right. I mean, they rocked my world. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, uh, my junior year, I did okay. Uh, but I never took a charge. Now this is really, really important because this is how I am as a coach now. And what happened was, was at the end of my junior year, going into my senior year in the summer, we have team camp and slats says, Kai, you're a really, really good shooter. You're a great shooter. You're a good offensive player. But I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot play you if you can't take a charge. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I, you know, I, I said, Slats, you know, what, what do I got to do? He goes, listen, we give out that Beaver Award every year because that's what, you you know, the Beaver Award was the defensive award. And I said, how many charges did you take last year? And I go, I didn't take any. He goes, yeah, you were basically – you olayed it all the time. You <laughs> out of the way. So we were getting ready to have a game in the old gym. And I remember I was like, I am taking this to heart. There is no way he's not going to put me on the floor because I can't take a charge. So I said, when I get in the game, no matter what, if it kills me – and I'm this skinny guy. I said, if it kills me – I'm going to have this guy run me over. <laughs> and sure enough, somebody gets the ball on a the wing, they drive baseline, I rotate out, I take the charge, 
and I fall to the ground and I basically fell to the ground like he, he used to teach a specific way. And that's, I still teach this to this day, you know, when you take a charge and, you know, literally I stand up and I'm, I run down the floor and I'm, you know, everybody's like patting me on the back and, you know, it was breakthrough because from that day on, I was taking charges all the time. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I, I go to old man's league like 10 years ago and I'm playing an old man's league and I'm taking charges and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Weston High School and none of our kids would take charges because they're all like, you know, they're all rich kids. You know, we, we uh, you know, Weston was a rich, you know, rich, rich town. And yeah. I literally put everybody on the baseline and I said, all right, I'm going to take a charge on, on Mike White. Yeah. And Mike White was like 6'1", 240. Wow. So I take a charge on him and I broke my nose. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm bleeding out of my nose. But I stood up and I said, I'm going to get gauze and I want you guys to know something. I'm the toughest guy in this gym. I'm the Wadsworth kid. And they're like, oh my goodness, Coach Kaiser, man, he's crazy. So, so guys, when you were done with Wadsworth, just to fast forward here, where did you go immediately after high school to play ball? Well, I went to, Mal I went to Malone to run cross country because I – I wanted to do cross country and track and I wanted to run with the big boys. But once I got lapped by all those kids, you know, and I was a pretty good, I was a pretty good track runner in high school, but you, you'd run against those guys. That's like, a, those guys are like Olympians. Right. I was there for a year. Then I transferred to uh, Mount Vernon Nazarene. Uh, I played for a year at Mount Vernon Nazarene. I was on the JV team at Mount Vernon. Um, you know, I developed some great relationships, uh, developed some great, uh, teammates and you know to this day I'm friends with a lot of guys uh, you know I mean when you guys watch the Utah Jazz the guy who's sitting to my right or left at the end of the bench he he sits right behind uh, Quinn Snyder I mean he's making like four or five hundred thousand dollars who, who is that Dan Mike Wells right Mike Wells Mike Wells was uh, one of my teammates and um, you know I mean basically we ended up being friends with like you know, the the guys that were like really, really great players, Ron Holmes and Darren Brooks. And, you know, the next year those guys died in a car wreck. And um, that, that, dev that devastated me for, for college. Um, I ended up being a student assistant um, at, at, for the women's team because, I you know, basically I, I just realized I'm not good enough to be on this Mount Vernon team. Um, I always felt that I was. But – I think what happens is, is we, you know, in reality, we have, you know, sometimes we think we're better than what we are and we don't realize that until we actually get into this profession. And I end up telling coach Fleming a couple of years later after I'd graduated. No, coach Fleming was the head men's coach at Mount Vernon. He was the head men's coach. And, and I said, uh, coach Fleming, you know, you were, you were right never to, you know, play me because, you know, I, 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 you know, I mean, all I could do was shoot and screen and maybe block out. I couldn't even rebound real well. But, you know, you got guys that could drill pass and shoot and they're really athletic and they can get to the rim and, you know, um, so. Dan, um, I want to stop for a second there. That sounds like it must have been a, a heck of a tragedy. What happened at Mount Vernon Nazarene? I'm not aware of the car crash. So. Uh, September 5th, 1991, uh, two of my friends 
were coming back from Mansfield. So on September 3rd, uh, I had this meeting with Coach Fleming, and I basically told him, you know, he says, listen, your chances of making this team are slim to none. Um, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not even going to try out. And I went outside, and Ron and Darren were getting ready to drive back to Mansfield. And Ron says to me, he says, yo, Kaiser, you're my guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him. We're going to make you look good. When I come back, you're going to be in the open gym, man. You'll be all right. Now, Ron was an All-American. And he was very, very athletic. He played at Mansfield Senior. Darren Brooks was a really, really good player. He was like 6'4". He was long. He was athletic. Great. Both guys were great people. And when they're driving back on September 5th, they're on Route 13. I don't know if you guys know yeah. Route 13. Yeah, right? yeah I know. It. Yeah. From Mansfield to Mount Vernon, they're driving. It's literally – they're probably like about – a mile from the Fredericktown border. Right. And they went dotted yellow. Uh, then that road became a, a double solid up a hill. Yeah. But whatever the, the way, the, the way they're just, the way it's described, it's the same nonsense that's going on now with equality because supposedly whoever was behind those guys said that the uh, truck kept speeding up as they're trying to turn the corner to get back in onto their side and as they can't get back in somebody was driving over the hill and hit them head on wow wow so that's unbelievable man i did not know that 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 had to really uh obviously impact you for for years if not for your life but yeah it's impacted me for my life because you know it's september 5th 1991 and it happened at 4 45 p.m wow yeah so and Man, I remember, uh, you know, you know, like people say, "Hey, I remember where I was at when John Kennedy died, or the right. Challenger." Listen, I remember yeah. exactly where I was at. Yeah, when they told me I was I was in the weight room with another guy named Len Marr from Wadsworth. Yeah. So Dan, um, you become a women's assistant uh, uh, or, or help out at, at Mount Vernon Nazarene, and yeah. then what happens with your coaching journey? So it was kind of weird how this went. Uh, I was a student assistant for a year. And um, as I'm a student assistant, that puts me at 90, uh, 91, 92, uh, 92, 93, I was a student assistant. And then um, I was working with, you know, Steve Gregory, who was a great player. He ends up becoming the women's coach down there. And he's t- to this day, he's, we're, we're still dear friends. Um, Steve was an assistant and literally we, 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 we talked almost like every day you know, as coaches. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot of stuff from Steve. And, but then what happened was, is at the end of my 93 year, uh, I go work this basketball camp, Atlantic Cape Camps in, in Williamstown, New Jersey. And this camp basically was like a, you know, it was an instructional camp, but it was also like a high profile camp. You know, like guys like, I mean, Kobe Bryant played in this camp, you yeah. know. Uh, the best player that I ever coached at this camp was Malik Allen. I mean, he played 15 years in the NBA. Wow. And, um, you know, basically uh, the guy running the camp was another Wadsworth guy, John McCarthy, who had right. left to go to Delaware. And Johnny Mack says, Kaiser, you're my guy. <laughs> because Johnny Mack was like, he's like the Dick Vitale of, you know, you know, high school basketball, college basketball. He was, you know, he's like a mini Dick Vitale. 
Right. And I go out there and I work for eight weeks straight. Wow. And as I'm working out there every night, we played uh, counselor games. Mm-hmm. And as I'm playing, you know, I'm going to work on people. Right. You know, back screen, jumper, going to post, hook, up and under. You know, I mean, we're we're playing on cement. Yeah. And I'm taking charges. <laughs> you know, I'm diving out of the, I'm diving into a fence for a loose ball. Right. And Johnny Mack says, I'm an assistant coach at Women's College in Delaware. Come play for us. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I, you know, basically I call mom and dad and I say, hey, listen, I get this opportunity to play. And mom and dad say, we'll drive home. We'll talk about it. So I drive back to uh, Ohio. Um, you know, my dad was like, absolutely, you need to go. And my mother was like, it's not a good idea. <laughs> you know? And my father was like, you don't get another chance. Right. You don't get another chance. And dad was like, well, what are they going to give you for money? And basically, because, you know, so basically the school cost $5,000. They gave me $5,000. Wow. You know, I, I, I basically went there for, I, they gave me five grand and things worked out. Um, the only thing that didn't really work out was, was, and I was playing an open gym. Uh, I was playing an open gym like three weeks into it and I blow my ankle out. Third oh. degree sprain. Wow. And literally, when I start going to this clinic, they said, you know what? If you would have broken it, it would have been a better thing. Yeah. Because when I had this sprained ankle, it, it literally didn't heal for two years. So yeah. I played on a third degree sprain the whole season. Yeah. You know, when Coach Newsom was like, you know, and I won't say it because I don't want you to edit this, but Coach yeah. Newsom would say, you're so blankety blank slow. He goes, you were slow before, not even <laughs> way slower. <laughs> and what happened was, it's like we had to get the suicides in, in, th- in 30 seconds. I was, always, I was always coming in at 31. Yeah. And my wheel would be, in, my, my, my ankle would be killing. Yeah. I would go home and I'd, I'd buy a bag of ice on the way back to the apartment. And I'd stick it in the tub and I'd, I'd sit there for like two hours just icing it every night. Yeah. Wow. But, so, Danny, when you're done with that year playing at Wilmington, then what's next? Uh, what happens next is I come back to Mount Vernon because the way it worked was, was NAI schools, you could transfer out and transfer back and basically keep your credits. So I transfer back to Mount Vernon, and I finish three classes. I live with the Gregories, and literally I jump on as an, a full-time assistant at, at uh, Mount Vernon as an assistant coach. Um, I work in a grocery store at nights. Um, mm. I'm an assistant coach, and that's how it starts. And, and then from there, what's next, Dan? Then, uh, then uh, 90, 95, 96, um, I, I start working on getting a sports management master's. Um, I go down to Ashland University. Right. I'm working at the United States Sports Academy you know, for my master's. And I need an internship. So basically, I hooked up with a guy named Al Smith that my father knew at Akron U. And I worked for him. And he basically signed off on all the stuff that, that whatever they needed me to do. And then I coached for Rob Spivery. Right. Uh, and Spive was a, uh, 
he was a Nolan Richardson guy and he's also a Bill Musselman guy. So I learned a ton of stuff from Spive in, in that one year. Was that on the uh, boy side or the girl side? Boys. On yeah. the boy side? Yeah. I mean, one of, my, one of, my, one of the players that I coached was uh, I, I coached Rob Weiniger. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the best yeah. ever from Medina County. You know, what, Rob Weiniger, I mean, I tried to get Rob Weiniger to transfer to Wadsworth. I said, you don't want to play with Dinah Highland? And he said to me, he goes, Kaiser, if I go to Wadsworth, I'm only going to average 18. If I go to if I stay at Medina Highland, I'm going to average 34. Right. How many average at, at Medina Highland the senior year? He averaged 34. Right. You know? Coach, what what what'd you pick up from Rob Spivey? Uh, Rob Spivey? Spivey. You know, Rob Spivey was a – he was a pressing guy. Uh, he, he did a lot of press. Uh, he was a man-to-man defensive guy. So, everything that Bill Musselman was about with defense, right. Right. he was about yeah. the 40 minutes of hell Yeah. that Nolan Richardson was all about. Mm-hmm. He did the 40 minutes of hell. Yeah. I mean, literally – we were getting after people. Um, you know, I, I, I joked with – I, I called Andy Etzler. So, Andy Etzler's two sons played on that state championship team down at Convoy Crestview at, at States like two years ago. Yeah. And I call him up because he's friends with Mark Gregory, who's the girls' coach, who's, who's one of my guys. And I call Andy. We talked for like about an hour and a half. And I said, Andy, what was that, what was that uh, fast break that Spive did? I'm going to walk you through it. So, literally – I walk him through it. And he goes, man, coach, you've got a photographic memory. How'd you remember that all the way from 95, 96? And I go, you know, I remember the reason why I remember it so well is, is after we ran through it and it yeah. took 12 seconds to get into it, right. we were no longer a break. It, <laughs> it, it was an offense. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, usually I was the last guy for that offense. Cause <laughs> Andy would have to get it to the free throw line for a two, three high. That's how yeah. it ended. Yeah. And he goes, Spivey never liked my game. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> and Andy ended up telling me that, you know, later on, uh, Spivey actually appreciated his game because he was he, he was he was so hard-nosed. Yeah. So, so, so after Ashland, what's next, Dan? Ashland, I go to Denison University. Right. Um, I'm working for Mike Sheridan. Unfortunately, Mike Sheridan, uh, who's the head coach, he was, a, he was a college of Worcester player, great guy. He hires me for three grand. I'm living in this basement, you know, on, on the campus of Denison. When practice starts, about three days into practice, he starts chewing the guys out really bad. And literally, there was like it was almost like players had a revolt. It was the craziest thing because you had like two players out of like twenty because there was a varsity and JV. Two players that like. Coach, Coach Sheridan, all right? I, I, I never understood this, but, you know, what? A, I'm an assistant coach. I'm, you know, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm a young guy. I'm just trying to figure it out. I just want to stay around. Right. And what happens is, is um, these players, they tell their parents. The parents basically go to uh, the administration at Denison. Yeah. And he was out, like, within a, either a day or two days. Wow. They literally, they need a head coach. I'm sitting there like I'm not going for this job, even though I want to. Jo- even though sure. I want to be a head coach, yeah, I want to be a head coach. Yeah, all right, but this isn't right. <laughs> so they had a guy from of uh, he, he coached at Maslin Christian High School. 
you know, he literally, you know, his father was a preacher at that Akron Baptist temple. And he goes to the AD and he says, I'll be your head coach. If you need me to be a head coach. They said, all right, we're going to hire you. We're going to give you, here's the package of money we're going to give you. So he comes to me and his name was Bill Lee. And I'm still friends with this guy to this day. Bill Lee comes to me and says, I want you to be my assistant. And I said, all right, here's, here's the deal. I'll be your assistant, but here's, here's what I want to do for a duty. I'll make phone calls for recruiting, but I want to live in that, that film room. And literally they had a film room with the joystick with the, like the, the nine decks of, uh, of VCR tapes. And then they had the main tech deck tape. And then they had the different, they had like three TVs and I lived in there. Literally I would get there at like seven or eight. Yeah. And I would not leave there until, you know, nine. Wow. All I was doing all day long was watching tape. Yeah. That, um, Dan, we you... end up, we end up, uh, we end up, Bill Lee comes to me at the end of the year. We go 19 and eight that year. We get oh an at-large, we get an at-large bid wow. to, <laughs> we get an at-large bid for the Great Lakes region. We're the eight seed. All right. We have the, we had the March Madness party. We brought out the nachos. That's all I remember about that party. They brought out the nachos. <laughs> all right. And. We have to play the number one seed with Hope College. Wow. I'm sitting there like, we got to play Hope College? They got <laughs> Joe Holstag. He was yeah. the player of the year in Division Three. Yeah. Four-point guard. So, literally, Bill Lee and myself, we try to basically call up every, whoever we can and get – you know, I ended up getting three films on uh, Hope College. We dissect them like crazy. We go up to Hope College. In the last minute, we lose by three. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So. Coach, so coach, yeah. um, I got to ask you something. Oh, wait, hold on. The FedEx bill was also 1500 I got yelled at for that. <laughs> wow. Because it was, a $20, it was $20 for a tape, so you figure out how many tapes I got. <laughs> hey, Coach, what, what did you learn from the Mike Sheridan incident? That, that seems unique. Um, you weren't there long enough to know what his relationship was like with the players prior to that. But I mean, what, what, you know, did he step over the line or what, what, what was your just gut instinct on that? And I, I don't want to badmouth Mike Sheridan at all. I don't even no, know. No, 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 no. If, if Mike Sheridan was listening to this, I would sit there and I would say for me, Mike Sheridan was a very, very intense guy. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. He had everything, you know, he was so organized because I saw all the, I, I saw all the papers. I saw all the things of, you know, he had an organization of things that he was going to have for me to do. Yeah. And, you know, all I, all I can fathom of what happened with that was the treatment of, we don't know exactly what happens in a locker room. We don't know what happens during a practice before I get there. Yeah. You know, all I can do is, is go by, you know, because now what I have to do is, is this, I have to develop player relationships because yep. I'm sticking around. Yeah. So I learned from the players, what was it that he wanted you to do? Right. Now, one of the things is, is this, you know, one of the greatest things that I got from that year is, is this. Now, when I become a head coach, I don't think I used it. All right. One of the greatest things, 
listen to players, get their ideas, right? Where do they see themselves? Where do they want to go? Do you want to win the NCAC title? Do you want to beat College of Worcester? Do you want to beat Wittenberg? Okay, if you want to do that, what are we going to do together to get that done? Yeah. Now, what happens is, is a lot of times coaches are like, hey, you're not doing this. You're not in a deep enough stance. I'm going to get mad if you don't get lower. Right. It's like, you know what? Listen, the reason why he's as low as he is is because for whatever reason, what's going on in his life? So and that's the other thing. I I ended up talking. I ended up talking to a lot of players about just life stuff. Yeah. I mean, out of that, I was like a motivational speaker as well because now I got my guy Jebediah Jason Barger, who's now a motivational speaker. He's already written three books. I've got Ed Cookie. Uh, Cook. I, you know, I called him Cookie. A great relationship with him. He's a motivational speaker. You have Casey Crost, who's a six seven six eight. Uh, he was the player of the year that year. He was our center. I mean, he's Fortune five hundred. He's probably making like two hundred mil as the CEO mm. somewhere in Virginia. Right. You know. Um, you know, other players. Uh, Kyle Potcotter's doing well. You know. Uh, Chris Potts ended up becoming the AD down at Upper Arlington, which is like one of the biggest high schools right. in the state of, uh, you know, yeah. state of Ohio. So what what clicked to allow that team to go nineteen and eight without their head coach? Yeah, um, and that's just an amazing. What, well, what, what, was yeah, Bill I, was it the players or was Bill Lee an influence there too? Well, you know, yeah. The thing with Bill Lee was was this: Bill Lee, uh, great. Great guy. I mean, he's also he was also a great guy. I love him to death. You know, I just got an email from him today because I'm on his newsletter. You know, he got out of coaching, right? Uh, you know, he was more the you know. He was one of those guys that basically, if he told you not to drink, and he found out that you were going down to a bar, he was hanging out outside waiting for you to come out. This is one of the things that basically supposedly got that got him in trouble at Denison because Denison was like a, you know, I mean, literally that, that gym that, you know, basically uh, is the intramural gym. They used to have that as like, they called that the party bar, you know, yeah. where they'd open it up and have tags or what. Yeah. Don't quote me, please. <laughs> All right. But the thing is, is um, what makes us go 19 and eight. I just think that guys were like, you know, they 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 wanted to have some relevance. They they wanted to basically be worthy. They 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 yeah. wanted to say, you know what? Well, we want to do something. Yeah. Now you got to also, you know, you got Bill Lee who was who walk in there, and I've sat down and I've worked camp with Nate Oates. What you see from Nate Oates on a press conference where he's like, Alabama's going to be great. We're going to beat everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know when he's at Buffalo, we're going to beat everybody. We're going to win the MAC. I'm going to have the player of the year. He's better than this guy. He's better than that guy. He's better. Okay. Bill Lee was the same way. Bill Lee would say, we're going to beat, we're going to beat Wittenberg. We're going to beat Worcester. But here's the thing. You also have an assistant coach that thought the same way. I'm not doing this for three grand and living in, you know, basically watching all this film so that literally, you know, we get in second place. Yeah. 
It's just not happening. Dan, what was your style of play that year? Any nuggets as far as the way you practiced or the way you played? Uh, we were man to man. We did drop into some zone, but one of the things is, is um, you know, we had, I mean, we had we had the we had the player of the year, six eight Casey Crows, all right. That literally, he averaged nineteen points, ten rebounds. All right, he was so smart that he was like the runner-up academic player of the year. Wow. With like a three nine 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 whatever. Yeah. Okay. No, Dan. Dan, real quick, did you throw the ball? to the player of the year on the block? Did you move him to the to the nail head? Did you play through him and how so? Literally, we played, we put him on the block. We had a couple, we had a couple sets. We had a zipper set where we dribble over and throw it into him or we throw it back to the top on the zipper cut and then look in on a high low. Um, we, had a, we had him on a duck in play, weak side. Um, you know, it was almost like the Carolina duck in play, mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, back when Sam Perkins and Jordan and all those guys were playing. Um, we didn't do any ball screen. We didn't do any ball screen, you know, literally. And what made them really, really good was, was this, we were like the 1995 Houston Rockets. We had a great post player. We had a four-man that could play at the elbow who could rip through and go by anybody. And then we had three, three, three guys that could really shoot the ball. Jeff Travis from Barberton, oh, great yeah. shooter. Yep. Trav was awesome, all right? Once the whole thing with, you know, once the whole thing happened with the coaching change, and you know, I, I bet you he shot from the three. He probably shot 50% from three. Mm-hmm. On like let's say it was a hundred attempts, which is pretty good. Uh, Chris Potts could shoot it, you know. Brian Summerhauser. Brian Summerhauser was a guy who could shoot it, but he could also get in the cut. You know, he could get to the to the rim, you know, and, and get two feet in the paint on the dribble. All right, he was a high floater guy. Defensively, Jason Barger, tough as nails. We beat Wittenberg the first time since 1969 that year. Oh, my goodness. All right. We beat him by three. Now, wow. the, the thing is, is this. If there's anything I'm going to brag about, because I know you guys are going to ask me about how to break down film. Yeah. I broke down film on all these teams. So when we did a film exchange, you know, the rule was is everybody's got to get a, two tapes on everybody. All right. You can get any two tapes you want. Mm-hmm. So when I called Bill Sudek from Case Western Reserve, God rest his soul, he was yeah. a great coach. Yeah. Right? Great he coached for 50 yeah. years. You know, he used to say, you know, he used to speak highly about my father. He said, I remember your father back in 1952. <laughs> I'm like, holy, wow, wow. <laughs> Phil Ness from Allegheny. Yeah. You know, Steve Moore, all right? Bill Brown, Wittenberg. Yeah. Um, so the, he had to give two tapes up. I got literally 10 tapes on Worcester and 10 tapes on Wittenberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when I call up Earlham, Earlham, right, I say, I want, one on, I want you in Wittenberg and I want you in uh, Worcester. 
you know, Sudek, same thing, Overland, same thing, all these teams. Right. And I would go in there and literally dissect film like crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, the players that I coached, the person that had the worst GPA probably on that squad was Dan Kaiser. <laughs> My GPA would probably be like a 2-1. Right. But with basketball and work ethic, I was a 4-6. Yeah. All right? And this is what these kids, you know, these kids respected me for that. They respected Bill Lee because Bill Lee was like, you know what? He would come to me and say, all right, what do they run? All right, take the JV team, take your JV team, and run us through all that. So whenever I had a JV game, mm-hmm. we ran everybody's scout plays against that team. <laughs> Dan, I got to ask you something, X and O, that you brought up. You said the reason the roster makeup of that great Denison team fit so well is because you had three incredible spot-up shooters. So you're talking about spacing the floor with guys who can knock down shots. You've been around the game for 40-some years. Why do college coaches and high school coaches – not value shooting more than they do because we all talk about it being the most important skill but then we sometimes don't play our best shooters because maybe they don't block out and rebound as well maybe they don't defend the ball as well maybe they don't have the athleticism that uh, somebody else on the roster does so my my long-winded question is should we value shooters more highly than we do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's think about, you know, if you took the greatest, if you took the great shooters out of the game, right? Okay. Where would this game be at? I mean, the whole, the whole object of, of basketball is, is putting the ball in the basket. Right. Right. I mean, I'm not going to devalue guys that can't shoot the ball at all because one of the guys, like I said, all right, our foreman, Okay. Jason Rusnak, he was a rebounder and a, you know, a mini post-up guy and a, you know, literally catch it, rip through and go to the rim and, and an offensive rebounder guy. He was the player of the year after I left. Wow. Okay. But the thing is, is shooting the basketball. I mean, you're talking to a guy that that's all that, that's like one of my non-negotiables all right everybody's got to be able to shoot the ball like either from five feet ten feet 15 right. three, three ball whatever okay i'm going to surround myself with shooters if people are looking at golden state and saying why is golden state as good as they are golden state's as good as they are because guess what it starts with the two guys that are shooters mm-hmm. all right you have steph and you have Clay, Splash Brothers. You know, I don't. Whenever I heard, whenever I heard Huggins speak, all right, I love Huggins. Okay, Huggins gave one of the greatest shooting drills ever. My sophomore year at basketball camp. All right, I remember him giving this drill, and then every time I go to a clinic, he always starts off with. You know, my dad watched my practice, and I asked my dad, why don't my guy shoot the ball well? And his father, Charlie Huggins, Berlin Highland, all right, Indiana Valley, says, 
Bobby, you're not shooting the ball because you haven't done it in practice. Mm-hmm. You know? Dan, I want to um, I want to move on because I heard you were a head coach when you were 26. How, how far away are, are we from that? You were at Denison. Then what comes next? 90, we go 19 and 8. I walk into, I walk into uh, Mount Vernon Nazarene. I see um, – I see Steve Gregory and I say, listen, I want to be a head coach. And he goes, Hey, guess what? They want to interview me up at Eastern Nazarene college for the head coaching job, but I don't want to leave Mount Vernon. Why don't you apply for it? (laughs) And I went, okay, (laughs) sure. Why not? Now looking back, if I could go back in time, help us out here for our listeners. Where is Eastern Nazarene? Eastern Nazarene is in Quincy, Massachusetts, which is literally about seven miles south of Boston. Got it. All right. And literally, I go up for the interview, and I basically, you know, I I rock on the interview. I did a pretty good job. The AD liked me. The assistant AD liked me. All right. But I'm taking over for a guy who was 23 and – 23 and five and literally his overall head coaching record was like, uh, I mean, he, you know, he was probably like 110 and like, you know, let's say it was 110 and 34 and people were like, you're taking over this guy. You're taking over for a legend. And I remember like, wow, here's the pressure. This is crazy. Yeah. And I remember being in that job for, you know, I'm just going to say for the three years, I never felt comfortable. I never yeah. felt comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Never felt comfortable with the job. You know, I always look back for therapeutic reasons. I always look at different things to find, you know, something that's comparable. Yeah. And the last stand came on and I love Dennis Rodman. Yeah. He bounds the ball, but people were like, Oh, he's crazy. He wears a wedding dress. He's this, he's that, you know, he, but Dennis Rodman said something that was great. He says, when I feel pressure, all right, you know, I got people asking me questions. I can't answer them. You know, I got people that are, you know, I've got to, I got to be responsible for, I've got this, I got that, 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 that. He goes, I want you guys to understand. He's talking to the media as he's lifting weights. Basketball is the easy part. Right. Hmm. So as soon as he said that, a light went off in my head. It was probably during my COVID episode, right? And I said, you know what? That's exactly how I felt. Basketball was easy for me. Yeah. Scouting, practice, drills, asking for new stuff. That's all easy. The hard part is dealing with the administration, dealing with, you know, the budgets, dealing with, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, uh, you know, if we didn't have enough money for something, you know, are the players getting what they need, what they want? You know, am I satisfying them? And am, am I talking to them the right way? Because that was the other thing. You know, the other thing is, is this, when you have all these other pressures that happen, you start to change who you are, you know, in your dealings with the people that you should be really, really close to, Yeah. you know, that you should consider family. You know, this is, these are like my sons. Right. You no. Know? Now, if you ask me, hey, what's your relationship with a lot of players now? Listen, there was a one there was one player, you know, I see him a couple of years after I left 
Eastern Naz, and I said, I said, Joey, I'm really sorry, man. And he goes, you know something, coach? He said, I mean, basically, I'm not mad at you. You know, I was never mad at you. You know, uh, you were a really good coach, and you really helped me develop as a player. Because after I left, he ends up being, you know, first team, all Commonwealth Coast. So he said, because you worked with me on a lot of individual moves and, you know, helped me be a better shooter and have better confidence, you know, you did well. Uh, and I was, when I heard that, I was like elated because, you know, the, the, the three years that I was at Eastern Naz, I, I felt like a, a major failure. Um, well, Dan, you know, you're talking about something that TK and I can both really relate to in different ways because, you know, looking, I just finished my 29th year of teaching and I look back at my first three to five years as a teacher, just in a classroom with my students, and I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. Um, but, but I think the one thing I tried really hard to do was to still be positive and develop some relationships with my yep. students. And then as a coach, um, I've coached at the high school level for 27 years. My goodness, I, I know the my first head coaching job in high school, um, I had no idea what I was doing. But I think as a coach, um, you need to give yourself or allow yourself to have some grace. Yeah. And because – you know, even it, when we look back and we think, man, I had no idea what I was doing. I could have been so much better. We still gain something from that. And I think that's the relationship part. And I think you grow as a coach too. Dan, what was one thing looking back over those three years besides skill development? You said, you know what? I really did. I did a good job for these kids. Um. I mean, I think that in the end, you know, the way I was an intense guy, um, I think that, you know, I helped these kids get prepared for the rest of their lives. I mean, you know, do I think that, you know, do I have any of these Eastern Nazarene kids knocking down my door, sending me a text, trying to hunt me down to say thank you? Now, I don't. I'm cool with that, all right? Um, like I said, Joe Thompson, he thanked me, you know, down at the financial district, you know, two years after I had left that place. And then he, you know, we, we constantly talked afterwards because I became an official on his board, and he's an official, and we, we, would, we would talk a lot about just basketball, you know, life and you know, I mean, he's got five kids, and he actually moved out of Boston, and he's now down in North Carolina somewhere. Uh, he's a very spiritual uh, man. You know, he's a Christian man. And, uh, I mean, the thing is, is this, you know, uh, you know, I, I reached out to a, a, one of my former players who's coaching at um, Clark's Summit College. He got the job. In his first year, he didn't win one game. He was only like 25. Wow. All right? So I reached out to him, and I sent him this long, drawn-out email that basically said, listen, you know, you're going to do well, dude. 
You were always a hard worker for me. You always did a great job, Brian. His name is Brian DeShane. And I said, you're going to get talent in there and you're going to change this thing around. And, you know, you're going to fight the good fight. I said, listen, I know that we didn't have in my last days there at Eastern Naz, you know, we didn't, we didn't have probably a great relationship parting ways or whatever. He sent me an email back and he goes, coach, I have no ill will against you, man. He goes, to be honest with you, you really helped me develop as a young man. And you really helped me understand life a little bit better. You helped me develop a work ethic because he leaves Eastern Naz. He graduates and he goes to Afghanistan hmm. and he was a soldier for like five, six years. And then he comes back. He gets into teaching and coaching. He coaches at a high school somewhere in Maryland. Does really well down there. And that's how he got that job at Clark Summit. And he said, hey, listen, you know, I, I appreciate anything, you know, anything you get, you know, anything you give me. Because one of the things I like to do is I like to give coaches stuff all the time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I'll say, what did I get out of the Eastern Naz? What I got out of it for myself was that um, it's like Don Meyer would say, you know, and John Wooden would say, uh, you know, get all the ideas. You can't use all the ideas, but get them all. So I've been obsessed since I've left Eastern Naz to get all the ideas. And I'm, I'm about a billion away. Yeah, Dan, I want to touch on something that makes your basketball journey so unique, and that is uh, your camp experiences. You know, TK and I were both um, growing up as coaches in an era from the time we were in college where that's basically what we did as a summer job. We constantly worked basketball camps. And then through most of our early years in coaching, um, why don't you talk about some of the camps that you worked as you uh, kind of formed your basketball coaching journey? Well, I was very, very fortunate. You know, when I worked, when I worked Wadsworth basketball camp, I got to start with that. When I worked Wadsworth basketball camp, Slats gave me the opportunity to coach a couple teams. One of the guys that you had on here was Jason Knapp. Jason Knapp, I mean, literally, he, he's a great human being, great person. From that, you know, from what I heard of him when I listened to you guys to when he was a player that was 16. Yeah. Right. Um, Slats gave me an opportunity. He gave me, he said, go, you're going to ref and you're going to coach. That's simple. You're going to sell some stuff in the concession stand. Hmm. You know, my first camp outside of that was University of Toledo. I was hired by Dan Hughes. Since then, I've reached out, you know, I reached out to Dan Hughes probably about three, you know, three months ago when this quarantine happened. And I said, you gave me my first job. And he's like, oh, Danny, you were great, man. And I said, you know what? I was a naive guy. I had no idea what's going on. Now, is this 20... the same Dan Hughes coach? Is this the same Dan Hughes that became a WNBA head coach? Yeah, he gave me his playbook. He, he, he gave me his playbook from the San Antonio, whatever they, they are down there. Right. No, so he sends that to them. Yeah. So, you know, I thanked him for that. And then what happens is, is then my journey takes off because I get in the car and I'm like, you know what? I'm not just going to go to, you know, University of Toledo, you know, 
my pilgrimage, and I call it a pilgrimage because you're in search of something, you're in a quest. You know, I went to the University of Michigan with the second Fab Five and, and Fish, and I was with, I went to Morgan Wooten's camp. Wow. You know, uh, Morgan Wooten was fantastic. I've worked with Bob Hurley, you know, for four, four weeks straight. Now, Coach, you got to talk about Bob Hurley a little bit. Um, you work four weeks straight of his camp. Give us one nugget about him as a coach. Uh, the thing with Bob Hurley is, is he is the type of person that um, he will try and get as many drills as possible from coaches that he respects. So, you know, one of you know one of his players, you know, Terrence Roberts was getting recruited by Syracuse. And he went up with Terrence Roberts and he saw, you know, them doing two ball drop steps, all right, dunk. And they were doing it with medicine balls. So he's like, I like that. I'm going to incorporate that. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> remember when we did uh, Syracuse 10 with Ben Falkenberg? Mm-hmm. He's the one who gave me Syracuse 10. Syracuse 10. You should never run another suicide ever in your life. What's a Syracuse 10, Coach? T- tell us. So the Syracuse 10 is, is you get on the baseline with a basketball. You put another basketball on the ground or you have a partner holding the other basketball. You basically dribble down and back with your right hand. You dribble down and back with your left hand. You dribble down and back, straight line crossovers. We call them, He called them J-Kid crossovers, all right? Straight line crossovers. You do – down and back, a crab run. So it's a figure eight run. Yeah. And then when you get done with those those four things, so now we're at eight because down and back, right? Yeah. Right. You grab the other basketball and you go two ball dribble, speed dribble, down and back. That's a now, Syracuse. He said a great player, a college player can do like 50 seconds. Hmm. The day I worked out with you, Scott, and Ben Falkenberg, Ben Falkenberg did it in 55. Wow. Right. And Ben Falkenberg, for those listening to this podcast, is one of the great players in Wadsworth High School history and was a multi-year All-American at Mount Vernon Nazarene. Yeah, I mean, literally, I have a trading card of Ben Falkenberg. (laughs) So, okay, give give us a couple other camp experiences you had. Well, when I worked for uh, Morgan Morgan Wooten, Morgan Wooten was a fan. Typically, um, what happens is is Morgan Wooten – um, you know, he just was so much into fundamentals. It was unbelievable. And literally, uh, he, he was just, he was just the very, very fundamental. He could take the most, you know, the, the craziest fundamental, like a jab step. And the way he explained jab step, I was like, you know, wow, I, I love this. You know, he would talk about it's a six inch jab. It's a six inch jab, hmm. you know? When you have the ball in triple threat, you've got to be able to rip it across a guy's chest. All right. You got to go below a guy's knees. You know, he would explain stuff. If, if the guy is a really, really tall player and you got a guy who's a low player, everything when you rip it across, you should rip it below your knees. So he's got to go lower to the ground and now you can get by him hip to hip. Um, and then he had all his assistants and all his former players that would work there. So you got all this knowledge and all this information from all his players and assistants. Pete Strickland, Keith Schroyer, 
Jack Bruin before he died. Mm-hmm. Jack Bruin was, you know, he was outstanding. Yeah. Um, and Dan, what about five star? Well, let me let me let me say this one first. You got Don Meyer at, at Lipskin University. Right. Don Meyer was the best camp I ever worked in my life. I worked that three year, three weeks straight. Why is that? Uh, if you see Don Meyer on a clinic tape, mm-hmm. or you see him at a clinic, all right, he'll sit there and he'll tell jokes. Yeah. And but he'll say, "Coaches, write this down. This is important." All right. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. And you're like, "What is he going to say that's really important?" <laughs> and he'll he'll come up with something like, you know, you know, you got to make sure that you get the ball in the pocket, you know, and you basically feet are in the air, balls in the air, land, pocket. Yeah. Everything's compact. Write this down. You know, he would say, "All right," you say, four things with the uh, you know, four things about uh, mistakes." Recognize it, or no, admit it. No, recognize it, admit it, learn from it, forget it. Write it down. Right. <laughs> you know, if he saw kids not writing stuff down, we, we, we'd be in the dining room, right? All the kids and coaches would be in the dining room. He's standing at a platform like he's a preacher. <laughs> and I remember him saying, he goes, uh, he says, all right. Coaches write this down. Players write this down. Kids are still talking, and he's 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 on the mic. And I remember he goes, "Coaches, get these guys quiet." And I'm like, "Yo, right here at this table, you gotta be quiet when he's talking. Be quiet. Right. He's gonna make you either stand up and get in triple threat, right. or he's gonna make you do push-ups." Yeah. And guys kept talking, so he says, "Everybody out of your seats, push-ups in the dining room." That was <laughs> 600 kids. Wow. That was 600 kids. <laughs> and I mean, you know, just, uh, you know, all the things that basically went along with Meyer, you know, he, he would talk about, you know, you would have a full day where you'd be coaching your team or doing a station or you, you know, you're having games and you had to carry your notebook with you everywhere you went. Mm. And then at night, every night, he would have a clinic for the coaches. Yeah. So the players would go back to their dorms, right? And they'd go back to their dorms, and the coaches would sit, you know, they'd pull out bleachers, and he'd bring his players in. And he'd say, all right, here's a great drill. Take infield. Everybody get a ball. Everybody get a tennis ball right now. Get a tennis ball. Throw it against the wall, but don't throw it overhand. Throw it sidearm. And he's like, you got to learn how to basically take infield. You got to work on your hands and your vision. You got to work hands, vision, and your feet. How do you catch a ball? So, yeah. Hey, what about five-star, Dan? Five-star. Uh, Morgan Wooten. Or no, uh, five-star. Howard Garfinkel. Um, the amount of talent that was at five-star was Unbelievable. How many weeks did you work five star in your career? If I worked, if I worked five, I think I worked five years there, and I averaged probably like two a summer. Okay. They would never give me July. All right, I was never there when LeBron was there. Okay, I was never at Robert Morris or I was never at Homesdale in July. 
That was the live period. I was either working July or June, late June or uh, early August. Okay. Now, the people that I got to work with though, okay? I mean, I got to work with at Eastern Invitational, mm-hmm. which was a great camp also, Rob Kennedy. And also uh, Five Star, J.R. Smith. Wow. You know, J.R. Smith, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if people know this, but, you know, his real name's Earl, Earl Smith, okay? J.R. basically, uh, I mean, he's an, he was an intense kid. You know, he, he could really shoot the ball. He was one of the guys I really liked because, you know, when he got in stations, he got after it. Did he? He, really got, he got after it. Yeah. You know, he was a really, really hard worker. Um, you know, he gets in trouble at Five Star. Because literally, because he wouldn't wear his shirt, right? <laughs> no, no. What happened was, is uh, I think he was cutting underneath. A, you know, he's he was making a cut, and somebody like bridged him up against the metal backstop, and you know, he just, you know, the same thing he did with the truck. Right? <laughs> yeah. So what happens is, Garf says you're not playing in the All Star game. So. He didn't play in the All-Star game. The All-Star game's on this one court, and he's shooting around on this other court. I went and went, I went over to this other court and worked him out. I was like, you know what? That's a great All-Star game, but I already saw him play in an All-Star game. He's probably right. the best player here. I'm going to yeah. work him out. I had a good relationship with him, and next thing you know, I see him about a year later at an AAU tournament at, in Boston. And, you know, he comes up behind me and taps me on the, on the shoulder and says, hey, coach, how you doing? And I'm like, Junior, how you doing, man? And it was awesome. Yeah. I felt really bad for him when he didn't take that layup with the Cavs. I felt awful for him. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? He's probably trying. To, he's probably trying to do the right thing. Right. He's probably trying to do the right thing. Hey, coach, you're at Randolph High now. I know we missed a lot of your journey here, but you're you're at Randolph, um, and you, you're more than welcome to speak to something else. But you you mentioned to me how important it is um, that head coaches get a lot out of their assistance. And, and I know your head coach really values you as an assistant, but for all the assistant coaches listening out there, what are some things that you could tell assistant coaches that would help the program? Well, first thing is, is number one, be loyal. All right. Loyalty is a huge issue. Um, you know, the thing is, is you, you almost have to have the head coach, even if you do not agree. And I don't agree with coach Jenkins all the time. All right, I know Coach Jenkins, he, he may end up listening to this later on because I told him about this. I don't agree with everything Coach Jenkins says, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, you know what? Whatever he says, because he's the head coach, we're going to coach it that way. You know, if he says, hey, listen, we're going to trap all ball screens. And I say, you know what? I think we should go under. We're going to trap all ball screens. We're going we're gonna to make it work. Um, you know, I think that you have to you have to be in constant contact all the time with your head coach. You know, the thing is, is this. If the head coach is calling you and saying, uh, you know what, let's talk about this. If you told him, oh, listen, you know what, I can't talk right now. I got to deal with my kids. Mm-hmm. My head coach is very respectful for on that. But you know what, at the same time, when I'm done with that, he'll want to talk to me about something. Yeah. You know, whether it's, you know, sometimes we talk, you know, at 10 o'clock at night. 
going on into midnight. Um, you know, we've talked till you know one one two o'clock in the morning. Right. The thing is, is this: I want to win really, really bad. Right. All right. I want to basically make the process better, which will yeah. lead to winning. Yeah. So the process is, is how are we going to make our players better? You know, is, are we going to do it with film work? Are we going to do it with scouting? Are we going to do it with, uh, you know, individual workouts, uh, pre-practice, post-practice? Yeah. You know, when he gives me the practice schedule and he says, this is what we're doing. What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, whatever you want to do is what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, because the thing is, is this. The schedule's already made. He's already got it in his mind. Right. I can go with whatever whatever you throw at me, I can go with. Mm-hmm. Dan, I just got to highlight something you just said. And it's one of the most insightful things that we've heard on this podcast. And that is when you're an assistant coach, you have to be in constant contact with your head coach. Yep. And I'm going to tell you why that's so important. I mean, I, I've been a head coach for maybe – 20 years of my career and I was an assistant for about 10 years of my career. It is so lonely being a head coach sometimes. Yes, it is. And sometimes you just need to have the feeling that someone on your staff cares as much about what we're doing as what you do as the head coach. And when you can find an assistant coach who is loyal and who will just listen to you, man, as a head coach, that makes your job so much easier, and it also lets you survive the lowest points in coaching. Yep. And and I just wanted to echo what you said, Dan, because if, if there are any coaches listening to this, that is so important as an assistant coach, what you can give to a head coach. I mean, here, what happens also is, is that sometimes Coach Jenkins will call me up and they'll say, you know, I was watching the film the other night. We should have done this. We should have done that. We should have done – like, no, 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 no. Listen, you can have all these ideas and you can write them down. You can have all these ideas. But the decisions that you made were the right ones at that time. Those were the right ones. Why are you – I would say this. I would sit there and I would say, why are you going to do this to yourself? Yeah. The reason why I say that is, is this. I remember back when I was a head coach. All right. I didn't feel that my assistant at the time was the most loyal of people. I don't even think he was that hardworking. You know, and what happens is, is this. Now I'm, you know, you know, now I'm like 20 years later. I'm like, the, the, one of the other things that my job is, is to make sure Coach Jenkins, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a situation that happened. You don't want to go through this. I'm going to give you two scenarios to think about. You choose one of them. Whatever you do, you know, it's fine with me. But here's the thing. You know, the whole the whole thing is is for you to have an idea because I'm an idea guy. I got to give you ideas of, you know, what to think about. Yeah. Dan, do you have to bring it it to practice every day? Sometimes um over my 27 years, you know, I've had some assistants bring it a little bit more than others bring it. Um, by nature, I'm already an intense guy. Uh, there has been times, though, where, you know, I sometimes feel like I've got to dumb it down. 
And what I'll do is, is I'll just grab a chair. If I had a lawn chair, I'd sit in a lawn chair. Mm-hmm. Right. I would sit in a lawn chair and I'd say, I would coach from this chair and I'd say, Hey, you know, you guys, you know, you guys are doing this drill right here. And, and the players would look at you and they'd understand and they'd go do it. And there's other times where coach K he'll get on me and he'll say, you got to get out of the chair, man. Stop being lazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <clears throat> you're right. So then I get up and I start doing my thing and I started working out and I'm, I'm working, I'm sweating with the players and I'm having sweat equity. And next thing you know, you know, players are going harder, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm sitting there like, Hey, K, you were right. And you know, I call him K. I was like, K, you were right. You know, maybe if I wasn't such a lazy lout, <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, I, I talked to you guys about that earlier. You know, I, I'm just going to give you a scenario. If you have an, if you have an assistant coach on your staff and for whatever reason, he's not talking to the head coach, whether whether the head coach calls him or the assistant calls the head coach, all right? Mm-hmm. If somebody's not communicating, all right, that's a bad that's a that's a bad look. All right. For me, you know, Kay will call me up and he'll say, Hey, I was watching this on Twitter. This is awesome. You know, the other you know, just the other day, Kay sent me a uh, a video. And it was uh, Michigan State, you know, chin sets. And I was like, this is awesome. If you want to run this, this is great. Mm-hmm. You know, there was probably like about five Izzo chin sets that he, that he had. Right. And me as the assistant, I watched him. I drew him in my notebook, and I'm going to draw him up, and I'm going to send him to him. Yeah. You know, just so he has him down in memory. Hey, right. Dan, is our time narrows here? I wanted to hit on two things very quickly. Number one. What do you think for a high school coach is the best way for that coach to use film with his players? Do you believe in watching excuse me, watching film at the end of a practice, before a practice? Do you believe on, in kids just doing it on their own through a platform like Huddle? How do you – because I know you're a film guy. How do you think kids are learning best through film? Um, we have players, you know, cause you can watch it on your phones. You can watch it on your iPad, your computer, wherever we will send players tape for them to watch on their own. You know, maybe it's a full game, maybe it's specific edits, whatever. All right. But there are times where we'll have five minutes of edits that will bring kids in a classroom and we'll walk through, you know, a quarter. Here's what you did great. You know, here's where we need to do a better job. And I'm not going to like, you know, you, you, you know, you criticize in, in, in private, you praise in public. We're doing more praising in public. And we're probably basically saying without saying a kid's name, we should have slid over here and took this charge. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to get to the, we need to get to the basket line. You know, when the ball is on the ball side and your player is on the, on the, on the uh, help side, you know, um, and then when, when we do that, you know, you can hear the whispers amongst the players like, oh, yeah, it was, uh, it was Johnny. It was, uh, it was Steve. <clears throat> so, you know, we basically, we want to show film in the classroom, but as well as we want you to look at it as well on your own. 
Yeah. And then the last thing I had for you, Dan, before uh, TK has anything, is um, I want you to talk briefly about your coaching club. I, I think you've been a part of different coaching clubs for the longest time. I think it's one of the smartest ways for us coaches to grow. What is a coaching club and why are you involved in them? So I learned the coaches club from Dave O'Ness when I was at Ashland University. He had 20 coaches he had to send out. Uh, he had each coach. I didn't even think he ran it, all right? Um, I forget what coach it was. Dave Ball, I think Dave Balzer ran it, who was at St. Joe's or he was somewhere in Indiana, all right? And he would assign each coach a week, all right? You know, TK, you got this week. Scott, you got this week. You know, Jed McKnight, you have this week. Dan Kaj, you have this week. You, they would send a packet of information to everybody. And then what happens is, is, you know, some people would be like, oh, this is great stuff. I got, you know, a thing of quotes. I got some plays. I got some press breakers. I got some inbound stuff. So I did that for like five years, and I got a ton of stuff. And I've met a lot of people. Because mm -hmm. you meet people across the country that I didn't even, you know, I might have worked a, a week at camp with this guy. But something about him, you know, yeah. really, really, really took off. Yeah. And now it's like what I do is, is because there's so much stuff out there and I draw up, I, I watched my own tape. Okay. So my, you know, right now I've picked Purdue. I'm drawing up every hitter that Purdue has ran in the last five years. Wow. I've watched probably like 15 to 20 Matt Painter tapes. And I really, I think after watching it, I'm like, Matt Painter might be the best coach in America. Yeah. Really, Dan, really good. Dan, do you watch his games or do you watch tapes of him? Does he have coaching clinic tapes or are you talking game tapes? Well, I, I, I did look up some, I tried to look up some clinic stuff, but I watch his game film. Yeah. And how do you get that game film to break down? So uh, I have YouTube TV now. I, I dropped cable. I got YouTube TV and they have the Big Ten Network on it. Mm -hmm. They have our games in there. All right, so they take a two-hour game and they break it down to an hour, and I'm like, I love this. And now I have DVR, which I'm like, I love it even more. <laughs> so then what happens is, is I go to YouTube on the computer, and I look up game film there. And while I'm at work, because what happens is, is while I'm at work, you know, I work in a house as well as do my Zoom class. I do my Zoom class, and then I go work in a house to basically, you know, sit with the kids and make sure they don't get in trouble. I just you know, open the computer and watch yeah. game film with my notebook. Yeah. Another, yeah. another good tip on that, Dan, is um, to get a Synergy uh, password and username from, a, from any college assistant or head coach. They usually will not be afraid to give those out. And uh, you can then watch any game that's been ever, that's been played uh, that year on college uh, on the college level. But anyway, Dan, I want to, I want to, uh, before we wrap up here, I feel like there's so much I didn't ask you that I wanted to ask you. I might have to have you on again. We might have to have you on on a different time. But what, what what is the style of play for your high school team right now at Randolph? And what is the style of play that you would that you would implement if you were um, a head coach again soon? Well, my head coach is a man to man guy. Uh, you know, when he when I first got the job with him, he said, "This is what we do. We're, we're learning man to man." Uh, you know, he wanted to put in a – I remember 
11 years ago, he wanted to put in a 2-2-1. We did it for about three days, and he was like, these guys can't do that. <laughs> um, but we have, over the course of the, over the years that we've evolved, you know, he's been a man-to-man guy. Um, we want to push the ball in transition. Not a structured break. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically just, you know, fill lanes, run a big to the rim. The other one basically gets opposite, you know, diagonally. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is, is this, we're running break and we're trying to, if we can't get a lip or a little short jumper or something out of it, we're reversing the ball. And then if we can't get something off a reversal, we're automatically into motion. Okay. Uh, we run a lot of five out. Uh, he says that he, you know, I, I'm thinking that he wants to do some, some Michigan state chin. That's cool. Yeah. You know, how do you get your five? How do you, yeah. How do you get your five out of the paint to get into five out? How do, how does he get out of there? Basically for five out as, as the ball is reversed, you know, Mm -hmm. the big follows it. And then basically he just pushes to a corner. Okay. He'll just, he'll just fill a corner. But the thing, the, the crazy thing is, is this, you know, the shot clock issue comes up. Yeah. We have a shot clock. So we, uh, we, we, ha- we have no time at all to come down and, you know, say, Hey, listen, you know what? Uh, you're going to run to this spot. You're going to run to this spot. No, it's like, what is your shot clock, Dan? How many seconds? 30, 30 seconds. Wow. Okay. What kind of, what kind of motion are you teaching? Are you teaching guys how to read screens or not so much? No, we're, we're, we're more or less, uh, you know, just basically pipe cut to the rim. Uh-huh. and fill fill the opposite okay you know and dribble dribble kick okay you know get two feet in the paint um you know we have run some hitters um you know one of the things that i'm going to probably try to sell coach on is, is i think we should run something you know where we can get a post up every once in a while mm-hmm. uh, the reason being is is you know, I think that after we we were the number eight seed, we played against the number one seed in the South. Mm-hmm. All right, this team was twenty two and zero, or twenty two and one, or whatever the record was. We basically we had faced the whole year, drive and kick. All right, screen mm-hmm. away, flare, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden we're playing Dennis Yarmouth in on Cape Cod, and they're like, they got five guys they post up they don't even post up the point guard hmm. and i'm sitting there like we haven't even worked on this <laughs> so what we did was is almost like you know like a don meyer mass post drill mm-hmm. you just basically told all the players partner up yeah one guard you know one coach is here with the ball one coach is there when i throw it over here to this side yeah we want you to basically pin your defensive guy and we want you to get to a three-quarter on that ball side. Yeah. You know? Right. If we tell you to front. If we say front, we want you to front. Right. All right? Go right. three-quarter all the way to full front. Yeah. Now, kids will say, well, how do you want us to full front? I, listen, yeah. I don't care if you armbar the guy. We'll, we'll say, we yeah. don't care if you armbar the guy and step across. Mm-hmm. We don't care if you step off and slow the throw. Right. All right? We just basically want you to get, you know, but no matter what, if the guy gets the ball in the post, do not let him shoot it on his strong shoulder that he likes to turn on. Dan, I got to ask you, stylistically, what's the biggest difference between Midwestern high school basketball and New England-based basketball? Oh, man. Besides the shot clock and how it affects the game. Well, that's a great question because 
when I first got out here to Eastern Nav, I'm like, these kids are more athletic than Ohio kids. Okay. And once I, once I was here for a while, I was like, they're not more athletic because you know, you guys know that I'm friends with Chris Hassinger. I just broke down every team that he played against last year and wow. sent him 175 pages of hitters. <laughs> all right. You know, on every team that he played that was in his section and, and mm. all that. Now, I'm sitting there like, they're not more athletic. New England kids aren't more athletic. Mm-hmm. What it was is, is this. Because you have the shot clock, it speeds everything up. Okay. You're going faster. Yeah. Now, TK, as I'm doing as I'm doing uh, Medina mm-hmm. against Illyria or mm-hmm. Medina against um, Mentor. Right. While I had the COVID virus for that two weeks, I looked up Hoban playing mm-hmm. Cleveland Central Catholic. Okay. On YouTube. Are and we at, are we are we at Cleveland Central Catholic or home? I think you guys were at home. Uh that stinks because we won up there. <laughs> yeah, you guys we, lost. We lost. We lost at the end at home. You shot. You you guys lost like fifty six forty nine, right? Something like that. Um. Th- th- this year we lost by two or three at home, okay. but it might have been it might have been a different year you were watching. All I know is is this. I looked at it and I was like, all I remember was I was like. Wow, these kids are way more athletic than, than my league. Yeah. You guys would you, you guys would come down, you'd guys swing the ball, shoot a three. Yeah. They would come <laughs> down the floor. No, you know who was did you guys play St. Edwards? Yeah, we played St. Ed's, yeah. This year? Yeah. Yeah, we that, that yeah, and we lost we lost by about that score. Yeah, fifty six fifty one. Yeah. It was the St. Edwards game. Okay. That yeah, was that's the game it. I watched. That's it. I, I I was watching that and I was like, these kids are way more athletic than New England kids, and they play faster. Yeah, Saint Ed's didn't even have a yeah. shot clock. Yeah, Saint Saint Ed's may have been the best team in Division One this year, and we had it to three points with about forty seconds left. That was actually a decent showing. They did have one player out, um, just to be transparent. They had they were missing one player, but they have a depth of talent anyway. Steve Culp basically told me. And I love Steve Culp because Steve Culp, you know, he's a Massachusetts guy. Yeah. I found out about this. You know, he's bounced around. You know, he he has bounced around all over Ohio. Mm-hmm. And when I came out to Massachusetts, he went out to Ohio. And, you know, I get him on that – we get him on that Zoom class, you know, that Zoom call, right? Yeah. And I just remember he – you know, he him telling me at one point, he says, we don't need a shot clock. Right. All these teams go faster than that shot clock anyway. Yeah, they get true. shot up after 15 seconds. Right. And then I watched I watched Cant McKinley mm-hmm. against Shaker Heights. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that game is fast. Yeah, I watched that was. like I watched like four Lorraine games. Yeah. Lorraine had some guys. Lorraine had good players. Right. I was like, wow. Yeah. These are fast. Well, Dan, I think we may have you on again because, to be honest with you, I really want to dig into more basketball stuff the next time. But we 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 went we went all. I, I think more big names have been mentioned on this podcast that you have actually encountered or been, or been with, like Morgan Wooten, uh, Fisher, Dan Hughes, Phil Ness, Bill Sudek, Steve Moore, Bill Brown, Bill Lee, Nate Oates. I mean, Hurley's. 
I mean, we Garfunkel, are you kidding me? I mean, you have more contact with more coaching legends than I have ever encountered in my life. And Scott, before you wrap up, I'm going to. Um, I just want to say, thank God you struck out in that T-ball game, man. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad I'm glad you didn't crank that bad boy. I played T-ball and I struck out a couple times too, but I also accidentally got a couple hits, and that kept me in baseball for a while until about seventh or eighth grade when I got out. But I tell you what, I am so thankful that you struck out in second grade for the Ohio Water Treatment Team at Norton Park and uh, that your dad came in and he showed you those pictures of himself rebounding, shooting. Um, And I tell you what, I I, I think as I reflect on this podcast, man, you made your dad proud uh, for sure uh, with all that you have done. And uh, I don't know if your father is still alive, but mine has passed. And uh, my dad kind of died somewhat young in my, in my estimation, 59 or 60. But I think I did a lot of what I did as well to try to make my dad proud. So your, your journey has been incredible. And I know we didn't hear it all. Uh, but I just thank you for sharing the game with so many people um, like, like you have. I love getting your emails. Please keep them coming. And uh, thank you for spending this time on the teacher coach. Scott, I'm going to let you wrap up now as well. Dan, I always, whenever I think about you, I just think about the more you love something, the more it's going to love you back. And, and we've known each other for close to 40 some years and your love of basketball um, is unparalleled. It's unmatched. I mean, you're working at Denison for $3,000 a year (laughs) and you're living in the film room. And when we talk about, you know, grinding and giving back to the game, um, you exemplify those things. And I, I appreciate your friendship so much. I appreciate how your passion for basketball lets you coach it lets you teach, it lets you officiate, it lets you be a part of coaching clubs. And, and I always go back to what Coach Don Meyer always used to talk about, and that's this idea of sharing the game. Yep. And, and, and that's why we're here. You know, TK and I started this podcast because, honestly, we love the game and, and we love listening to guys like you because we learn so much. So, guys, my, my, my encouragement to you would be, you know, you're uniquely great. You, you don't lose your passion for the game. Keep loving it. It's going to love you back. And you are impacting so many people, whether it's in school, in your unique classroom setting, or on the basketball court. But like TK said, man, your, your time is valuable. We appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you again sometime. Guys, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here today, and hopefully I help coaches. And, you know, if there's any coaches out there that uh, want to be uh, a part of the coaches club, um, you know, I, I can, you know, I'll give you my, you know, I'll give you my email right now. It's Dan Kaiser, K-I-S-E-R, four zero at gmail.com. Email me. Uh, what I do is, is basically how it works is, is you don't have to send anything to me. I, you know, you don't have to send a thing to me. What I do is, is I draw stuff up that I see and I send it out. Or if I get something off of Twitter, yeah. I draw it up when I send it out. Or if somebody says, oh, this is – now, I've had coaches that I'm very, very good friends with uh, that have said, you know, I went to this special clinic. Please don't send this out. Right. Um, right. So 
you know, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of getting stuff from a lot of people that, you know, have said, yeah, I'm not even going to say a lot. I've got like two or three people that said, please don't send this. Right. So I respect that. I mean, the other day I just got something from Steve Moore because I wanted to have Steve Moore on a zoom clinic. Yeah. You know, and he wasn't able to do it because, uh, you know, it's a busy time for Doug Klein. He wants Doug Klein to be on there for the offensive end. Right. Steve Moore is going to be on the defensive end. So Coach Moore sent me a bunch of uh, his defensive stuff because I have so much respect for Coach Moore. Uh, In the the year that we, I was in at Denison, I was like, this guy's, this guy's a genius. Right. And I told him that. And yeah. he's like, I'm not a genius. I just, you know, yeah, I just work hard. Like, <laughs> that's, exactly, that's, that's exactly what he would say. Yeah. Well, um, Dan, I'm going to wrap up with this, something that Don Meyer would say, and, and it's write this down, everybody. Write this down. Dan Kaiser has paid it forward through the game of basketball, and I'm also going to give you a Beaver Award, man. I, yeah, think, I, I, think, I think you deserve a Beaver Award. Uh, for not only taking charges in men's leagues, but also for taking charge of paying it forward in the game of basketball. Man, it was so great to be your teammate at Ball Street when we were just 17 years old. Uh, I, I hope I passed you the rock enough, but if I didn't, uh, make this be the assist that I missed out on. Dan Kaiser here at the Teacher Coach Podcast with TK Griffith and Scott Matthew Callahan. It's been our pleasure. Thank you.